We wake up in the morning, we come downstairs, have breakfast. Usually at the time we come down, the post arrives. And then when the post arrives, we open up all the boxes and see what's there to fix. We never know what's coming. <laughs> we never know anything. We just open the boxes and we see what's happening. It's like it's opening Christmas presents all every morning. <laughs> Welcome to Restart Radio. I'm Dave Pickering and I make a monthly podcast for The Restart Project. The Restart Project is a London-based charity and social enterprise whose mission is to spark reflection and change in our relationship with gadgets. The Restart Project recently celebrated Repair Day and talked about the importance of highlighting the value of repair culture. From the amateur tinkerers to community groups to independent repairers like Rico Server, the 22-year-old who claims to fix the impossible. In today's episode of Restart Radio, Rico invites us into his front room where he solves puzzles that most repair shops can't. He talks about the personal stories behind the devices that he receives, his work teaching students from all over the world, and the future of professional fixing. I'm in a family home, basically, in Basildon. I mean, it doesn't feel like I'm in a family home fully because I'm in a room filled with lots of really impressive-looking technical equipment. And so you kind of walk into a family house through a hallway and into a room filled with devices of all kinds. And it feels like you're in a very different place. Outside was just a suburban road, and inside it's like a, a technical laboratory environment. And, I, and I'm with a very interesting young man who I'll let introduce himself. So uh, if you want to introduce yourself and tell people a little bit about who you are and what you do. Hi guys, my name is Federico Serva. I'm 22 years old. I fix the impossible. So all the devices that shops can't fix or have no idea on how to fix the devices, they all end up here. Posted from Europe, internationally America, Caribbean, wherever you think. They all find me through YouTube, Instagram. I mainly deal with the very big data recovery cases. Phones that get dropped in rivers, big accidents, and they need the, inf- the information. They usually find me. I'm the last person to go to. Phones and other devices like tablets and stuff like that are being sent to this suburban house from all over the world, from people who have had disastrous moments in their life where they've lost not just their device, but also all of the personal stuff that's contained within that device. We were talking before I turned on the mic and you were showing me some of the the letters that people send with these devices. And they, as you said to me, they're like stories. They're like personal stories. It's almost like you're an agony uncle. People are putting so much personal information. How do you feel about about telling them that their devices can't be fixed. It is stressful. The other day I, I, I did beat myself up a little bit because of this iPad I received. A lady had deceased from an accident on a boat and the iPad fell in a river. So this family took that iPad to multiple places in Greece, multiple repair shops and all their attempts and everything like that. When I received the device, I managed to turn it on, but it was flashing a red screen. And that means with all the attempts they have done to the device, if it had come to me in the beginning, I would have been able to do it. But now I've turned it on, but the data was corrupted. So I was... uh... I was a bit devastated. But yeah, it is tough sometimes when I tell people that it can't happen because I'm literally the last step. They've been everywhere else. But then again, I guess it must be the opposite when you can oh, tell people yes. that their device is, is saved and, and not just, like as I say, not just their device, but their personal memories are saved. Yeah, I recently did one uh, for a family in uh, Michigan 
and they they say we are in debt to you it's amazing what you've done they've got all the information i usually back it up through icloud so they see all the data straight away they are very impressed you're the person that they come to i mean this is the room that those phones come to when nobody else can help right you're like the person that, that is called after everybody else has given up on these devices yes that is it sometimes a year six months seven months there was a phone that went around the world from korea for 7 months one person had it they couldn't fix it and when it came to me they 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 filmed the video response as well it was incredible yeah. it was incredible It seems to be working out for you and and it's an interesting thing because you're 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 a young person and you're like doing all of this amazing stuff that I I can't even imagine doing. I wish I could do this stuff w- with my devices. How did you get into repairing phones? In the beginning, my father he drove over my PlayStation and I started fixing the PlayStation in the beginning. He wanted me to kind of do something with my life instead of sit in the, my room. <laughs> right, but ironically it was by smashing the PlayStation that 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 gave you the the interest in in fixing things. things because you wanted to carry on playing right. PlayStation. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 those days, yeah. And does your dad still think he did the right thing by destroying 100%. He brags about it all the time. He's like because I drove over his PlayStation. He's he's very happy that he did it and I'm very happy as well. Right. <laughs> At the time I wasn't that happy, but <laughs> yeah, it led to a great thing. And then uh, it was the iPod Touch on the first iPhone, this iPhone 2G. I broke my iPod Touch screen. I fixed that with a hairdryer, I remember that. And then just over time, I started fixing everyone's phones and tablets and iPads in Cyprus, a place called Cyprus Island. I decided this is where I want what I want to do because I enjoy fixing stuff. And then when I came to the UK, I was 18, I worked at a remanufacturer place. So we were remanufacturing iPhones, the 5S days when we had the 5S. I was remanufacturing the whole phone from scratch. We had to do 5 to 10 a day. They had to pass quality control for big uh, insurance companies, carriers, Vodafone, stuff like that. And then I uh, moved on to a company called iSmash where I was fixing a lot for them. I had an office there with them. And then I started doing this work at nighttime. at home and posting on Instagram and at that time there was not a lot of people posting this work on Instagram and then it kind of just built up so much I wasn't sleeping properly you know and um I said to myself right when this work overtook my income the amount that I was making at my 9 to 5 that's it I I moved home and just did this full time and it just blew up what made you want to go home and carry on working and doing more complex work and like better fixing i guess than you were doing in your day job what made you want to do th- those things at the same time at that time my my father did lose his job so i was working hard to try and work with him to look after the family but uh, all that pushed me in a direction where i was able to handle everything and uh, when i when i said that was enough i got to push forward on this i'm going to do this that's what made me made me do it I mean do, do you are you interested in it? I love it. It's, it's it's my passion. I teach people every weekend, every second weekend now I have students fly around to come and teach. I love teaching people. And what is it about fixing things that that you love? It's that immediate feeling that you've accomplished something. But there's also a kind of detective element like you're you're working out what's happened here, like what's making the phone dead, trying to find out how to bring that phone alive. It's engaging for you mind as well as giving you dexterity and skills like that to actually get in and fix things. Yeah, it's it's very microscopic. There's thousands 
thousands of components on a motherboard and you have to find out which one of the thousands it is. And uh, yeah, I have very great techniques for that that I have learned through trial and error. It's a great feeling when you find it, you know. And that's right. You haven't had kind of formal training. You have learned all of this yourself just by taking things apart, putting them back together. Like an early scientist just working out how these things work. That's how you've done it. Yep, exactly. Just trial and error and a lot of a lot of failure led me to my success now. Describe your typical work day in this room. Okay, so we wake up in the morning, we come downstairs, have breakfast. Usually at the time we come down, the post arrives. And then when the post arrives, we open up all the boxes and see what's there to fix. We never know what's coming. (laughs) We never know anything. We just open the boxes and we see what's happening. It's like it's opening Christmas presents all every morning. (laughs) So yeah, we sometimes, we get the average customer that sends in their data recovery for important information. Then we have the shops. So I work with many repair shops. I give them great business to business prices and great turnaround times. Our goal is to work from the time the post comes till 4 p.m. 4 p.m. is where we run out, we head to the post office to post for next day. So what happens is the customer only leaves the phone away from them for one day. So they post it the day before in the afternoon. It arrives here at 11 in the morning. We fix it for, we post it for the next day before 1 p.m. So they only leave without their phone for one day and what's the fixing like what kinds of things do you do i mean there there are like as you said microscopic kind of devices to make you able to see what you're doing better Uh, yeah yeah. and like there's all sorts of different kinds of tools some of which i've seen at restart parties there's the various tools that you need to get into a phone that are specific to phones that only open phones you've got those tools what's the fixing part like the fixing part is great the main things we see every day are usually dead phones phones that have died by using fake cables, bad car chargers, truck chargers. We see many touchscreen faults from the device being bent, no signal issues. Right. And uh, and we've been joined by one of your students. Hello, nice nice to meet you. He's from Sweden. He's right. from Sweden, yeah. And you, and so you have students, you say, and you, you, you have like more than one student in here quite often. Right? Uh, it's becoming two now. Right. There's going to be a setup soon, yeah. So with those students, you're passing on your expertise and kind of increasing the amount of people who can do this quite quite unique job I guess that you've that you've built for yourself yes yes but I believe it's going to be the future it's my passion to share the knowledge I guess some people would say like everybody you're training is is potentially competition for you as somebody who works in podcasting in podcasting we tend to look at other podcasters not as competition but as more people who are making people aware of podcasting is that kind of how you see it for repair I see it in a way that everyone has to make something out of it you know one of my biggest things with my Instagram Instagram is when I post all the repairs I do and I say I did this, I did this, I did that, I showed exactly what I did. This is because I want people to know. Sometimes I post something and I know someone out there is making money from it. And it's also building to their knowledge. They watch me on YouTube to learn, you know, to try and take in whatever I show them. I don't show them everything because, you know, that's that would kill me. But that's why people come and train and I show them my secrets. I mean, do you see potentially like a, a world where like people are doing the kinds of things that you do just to their own iPhones to fix them? I believe it will become like that, I do, but it's getting more advanced. The iPhone X is extremely advanced. I repair them now, but 
it's very advanced. People have to work hard to learn how to fix that phone. So I believe with the newer phones, I'll be okay. But everyone's got to learn. Everyone has to do this. Right. I mean, it's slightly that, you know, every time people at home learn how to do the stuff that you do, everything will have moved on so much that you'll still be doing what's at the cutting edge of new technology. So that's hopefully good for you in, in terms of your future. Yeah. So we've got some boxes come in while we've been talking. This is one day. So we've got, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven boxes of different sizes mostly a similar-ish size I guess but different shapes different sizes you don't know what's in them so this is the opening of the boxes that's a bit like Christmas every day you can hear them being opened in the background they're all quite well packaged so it's, it's quite a, a Christmas you have to really get in uh, yeah. lots of different sellotape I mean people really care about these phones so they don't want them to break extra on the way to your house Nisha, but please restore phone to working order if possible. So this is a data recovery. This, what is that? Is there any notes in there? So sometimes the people forget to put notes. Right, because you need a clue to to where to start the investigation. (laughs) If you've got no information, that makes it harder. Okay, this one, there's no information, but it is a data recovery. So... We have to get that done. That's important. Is there any information on that? An address of the sender. Yeah, sometimes we get stuck like this, but uh, what can I do? Okay, let's just put that to the side. I usually post like a story on my Instagram saying, whose phone is this? And then they get back to me somehow. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I just don't understand. They They should be doing that. Let's see what's in here. We've got another phone here. Okay, we have a note here. 8G home button. So this is for a company in Nottingham. And the home button on the iPhone isn't working. Now, as we know, the iPhone 7 and up, you can't replace that button. No matter what we do, we cannot replace it. If we put another button in there, there's going to be no function whatsoever. So we have to fix that button. The only way that you can replace the button is if you go to Apple to change the button. Wow. Yes. You see, it's literally like Christmas. You see, underneath the tables, all our packaging. Right, because once you fixed it, you have to make sure it doesn't get broken between you and the next place, because then that doesn't look good for you. What is this? Touch disease. Now, this is a very common repair we do. It's the iPhone 6 Plus that bends. It's famous for the touch disease. As you can see here, there's no touch. You see the flickering gray bar? Yeah. On the motherboard, it requires a little jumper. So we lift off the touch chip, put a microscopic jumper, which is as thin as a strand of your hair, put it on there, we put the chip back, and then the touch disease will go away and it's fixed for life. So it looks like they have damaged the touch connector on this one. Oh my gosh, there's more. Audio IC. So this is the daily repair that I told you we're getting. Yeah, so these are for shops. So what happens is when you turn this on, it will get stuck on the Apple logo. Let's see what we got here. That one's got a couple of phones in, I guess. So when you get them from yeah, shops... So look here. Click the button. See, you can click it, but it's stuck on the Apple logo. Right. So this is a common issue that we see every day. It's the audio IC. This is the new touch disease, basically. Touch disease we see every day, as well as the audio IC disease. So what is that? Does it, what, what, you, we're calling it a disease, but what, it, what is it? Basically, it's just like the touch problem, but underneath the audio chip, a little microscopic pad gets disconnected. 
All we have to do is replace that with a jumper wire as thin as your hair. Right. Put the chip back and that will fix it for life. So whilst it's being called a disease, it's just a simple mechanical problem. Yes, design flaw. Right, a design flaw. I mean, if we're thinking in disease terms, it's, it's another one, one that it was born with, right? <laughs> they already had the disease from birth. Exactly, check, look, another one. Or this is from another shop, and that's a, a big thing that you're. A, it's very a big, big part of what you're it's doing. It's the recent. It's the recent. Uh, the recent one that we've seen on the Forbes and the Vice article. If you search Apple Loop Disease, you can read up the article. Also, you can search on YouTube how to fix the Apple Loop Disease, and I've got a tutorial on how to fix this problem. You see here, click the button. Yeah. Same symptom. Yeah, it doesn't even. Doesn't even. It clicks just stuck yeah. in the Apple logo. Yeah, the bottom of the phone clicks, but, but there's nothing <laughs> happening. Okay, we've got a Samsung here as well. I only do dead Samsungs because it's easier to find the problem. We don't have access to the information we have for Apple's devices for Samsungs. We don't have the access for them, so I only stick with dead devices. Right. So that's today's queue. We have three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 10 devices today. One I have no idea what's happening with because there's no right. uh, information with. And, and, is, and is that kind of a, an average amount that you would get or is that a large it's amount? An average amount. Average amount. Sometimes it is a bit crazy, like 15. But uh, at worst, we see around five. Look at them. They're stuck on the Apple logo. They look both of them. The same disease too right there. Yeah, exactly. They, yeah, it does. It, they, Very yeah. common. And, and Apple doesn't replace it for free. For does it look like own. this person doesn't look after their phone? Right, it's a very yeah, it's a very good condition phone. There's no cracks in it. There's nothing wrong with that phone apart from it doesn't open. Just stuck on the Apple logo. Yeah. yeah. What are the main barriers caused by phone manufacturers for your work? Have you been able to develop a good relationship with phone manufacturers? I haven't been I've got no relationship with manufacturers. Barriers, if Apple released the schematics to the public, then that would have helped us a lot. For example, the iPad Pro 12.9 inch and the 9.7. For two years, the 12.9 inch has been out. We still haven't seen them schematic. The schematics are found over the internet. Someone has leaked them somewhere. If Apple had to provide the schematics to everybody, life would be easier. That's also in that right to repair bill that people are doing yeah. right now. The right to repair bill is so that Apple could release all these diagnostic tools and schematics. They're not giving you the information about how the devices work. And I guess another barrier that you've kind of mentioned is that some elements, like you were saying about buttons, can't be replaced. They can only be fixed. That's seems like quite a barrier in its own way too it is yes only apple has the ability to program a new button it's very similar to charge leads changing the plugs so that like you can only use apple plug charge leads and you can't just use a, a simple usb charger like it used to be at one point yeah exactly it's interesting that when they change the the plugs we all notice it right but when they change the buttons we don't know that they've done that are there simple changes in the way that manufacturers operate that would make your work easier is it about the ways that phones are designed or or is it software tools that are missing? There could be software tools in the future, but as I said, we don't have much information. If they release schematics, that would change us. Right. That's the the main thing that you want from manufacturers. And pre, I guess there's no sign that they're prepared to do that unless they're forced. Unfortunately not, no. That's that right to repair bill that they're doing, yeah, right to repair bill. Yeah, there's growing support for a right to repair movement around the world, demanding manufacturers make their product more repairable and better supported so that independent repairers and community volunteers and everyone else can benefit. Do you see your work as part of that, part of pushing the limits
limits of what can be repaired. Of course. All the shops, majority of the repairers, when they look at this work, they think it's impossible. It is definitely going to be part of it. You believe in that right to repair bill. I mean, are you, are you joining with other like-minded people to try and get that to happen? I haven't been much in touch with it. But uh, yeah, I definitely believe it's a great thing to do. It has to happen. It has to happen. If it does, it's going to change everything. You mentioned that you are not interested in screen repairs and other simple fixes. What are the types of repairs that you are proudest of making? I recently fixed the iPhone X that was eaten by a baboon chimpanzee. (laughs) And this one was destroyed, honestly destroyed completely. They wanted the information because the video, they were filming the chimpanzee. Oh, wow. And then he touched the electric fence, it fell, and then the chimpanzee grabbed it and they all had a party with this phone. And uh, it was filming. Wow. That was being destroyed. So I managed to fix that. That was incredible. I fixed one that fell from three stories on a holiday. All the holiday pictures, I saved that one as well. There's many, there's many stories, many crazy stories. Yeah, I mean, I guess the the most impressive ones for you are the ones that are the most broken. That's the achievement. And I guess for people who are sending your phones, sometimes the smallest thing for you will be really big for them. You've got a lineup of very basic repairs that you know how to do here today. And every one of those will really give the person who sent them a lot of joy when they get it back uh, but recovering footage filmed by chimpanzees destroying the phone <laughs> yeah I mean that, that's, that's a great that's a great thing to have on your resume when you work on a device for the first time how do you learn to repair it and what are your sources of information for learning how to repair it basically uh, through trial and error I've come up with very easy ways to diagnose I've also trained my assistant this way just Straight up, we use thermal cameras, freeze spray, a lot of things to find it very fast. With my the amount of knowledge I have now, I would say I can fix dead phones in five to ten minutes sometimes, maybe five minutes. You're using thermal imaging on the phone. I mean, that's like spy stuff to me. That's yeah. like super cool. I guess that also speaks to how these devices are designed in that it takes thermal imaging to see what's inside them. That's exactly what happens, uh, especially these days when we don't have schematics like for an iPad. Pro I fixed the other day. There's no schematics for it. So I use thermal imaging to find the problem straight away because there's no schematics for it. So sometimes if you give me like a new device and there's no information on the motherboard, I would have to whip out the thermal camera. Apple is known for having recently released software updates that disabled some iPhones repaired by independent repairers. I know that story. It's it's if you change on the iPhone 8, 8 Plus or X, if you change the screen, you lose the auto brightness feature. Only changing the screen at Apple, you will keep that auto brightness feature. But to be honest... The Chinese, they come up with these tools all the time to fix these problems. They, they have fixed it now. They recently have fixed it. You buy the tool and you can transfer the information from the old screen to the new screen. You don't see it as interfering with the future of the repair uh, economy? It might do, yeah. It might do, especially with screens and home buttons and stuff like that. But for the motherboard, everything we use has a circuit board. There's always going to be a short circuit. There's always going to be some type of liquid damage. There's always going to be a faulty cable being used. There's always going to be physical damage, you know? What do you think is the future of repair and what would you, your advice to people wanting to enter into the profession that you're in, that you're creating? I think you're almost creating this this, this uh, profession. This profession came from China. 
in China, this is very normal to everybody. But it's just the fact that there's not enough knowledge outside of China for this. But um, my advice to people is, if they want to enter the profession, even the mobile industry, repairing phones properly, actually repairing them, you know, not, not like swapping screens, but actually repairing the phones. Go to a workshop or some type of small course that does this type of work and just see if it's for you, you know? Because this is the future. The microscopic world is the future. Everything's being linked to the screen, the phone. For example, the iPhone X, the Face ID. The Face ID is linked to the, the earpiece on the screen. So if you're changing the screen and you break the earpiece, that phone will never have Face ID again. The iPhone X doesn't have a button. The only thing is the face recognition. So if you break the earpiece, you will not have your face recognition. They are linking parts to screens, like with the auto brightness feature right now. Yes, there will be something in the future to fix that. The Chinese will come up with something. But the future for repair is going to be the motherboards. When you say the motherboards, for listeners at home, what does that mean? It means that you always have a fake charger. You always have a shop selling fake cables. You always have water, liquid damage. Some of the phones aren't sealed to the points where they need to be sealed. The screens are becoming very expensive. Now Apple is moving into the, the Samsung screens. If you want to change the screen, it's not like buying an iPhone screen now. You can buy a copy at £24. You can buy an original for £40, £45. Now the iPhone X screen is £280. But if you go to Apple, it's cheaper. Refurbishment will be really needed in the future to keep the, the profit margins high and everything because you'd have to refurbish that screen instead of buying a whole new screen that's £290. I mean, everything we're seeing now is having a motherboard problem, especially Apple devices. From the iPhone 6 onwards, there is there's a lot of motherboard problems out there and shops are now turning them away. There's a lot of shops in London as well, everywhere around the world. They're opening up next to each other and it's becoming ruthless because they're all doing screen repairs and they're all dropping the prices around them and it's just damaging their business. That's another reason why many shops use me. They send the devices to me because they need that. They want to get that extra income because now with the newer phones, say the iPhone X, the display is so expensive. You're going to pay £300 just to buy the screen. So I believe many shops, what, what's happening now is I teach in Miami as well with a friend of mine in STG repairs. We have many students from around the world. They come there, shops that want to upgrade their skills because they are missing out on the business. It's a key thing, I believe, as we know, this industry is moving forward fast. And I believe that every shop owner, every person that repairs screens should be moving into this step. Phones are becoming more expensive, like cars, you know? Yeah. I mean, in theory, couldn't they change the way that they make phones to make these faults less likely to occur? I'm not too sure, especially with the design of the iPhone X, there's going to be a lot of problems. As I told you, it's got, it's like a sandwich board, a little bend, it disconnects one of the connections. Right. No touch, no Wi-Fi, no Bluetooth. I don't see it as a good design. I guess flawed design is a good thing from your point of view, if not from the point of view of, of somebody whose lead is, is not working to charge their phone. The 5S is a great design. The 5S is a great design. The 6 came out, it was bending. The 6S came out, they fixed everything on it. I think the only things we see is a dead phone, a short circuit, charging chip issue from fake cables. That model was okay, the 6S and the 6 Plus. The 7, now we come, we see the audio IC disease. 6 Plus, we saw the touch disease. There's always some type of small thing happening, and that's that's what we fix every day. It's interesting as well, because the, what you're saying really is the most expensive phones that you can buy at the moment are the ones most likely to go wrong. Is that right yes yes in the last part of today's episode rico is going to take us through one of the most common fixes that he has to deal with every day 
Our most common repair now is the iPhone 7 audio IC disease. This is the Apple Loop disease. There's an article on Vice and Forbes with me in it discussing this. There's also a video on my YouTube on how to fix it. But we see that now because it's an Apple design flaw. And that's our most common fix for now. We just use a tweezer, hot air, and a really small soldering iron. And when you say tweezers, haven't you got, I think you've got special tweezers, I think I read about, for specifically doing this job. Wow, they've got very, very thin points at the end. They don't widen out like usual tweezers might. They thin into to kind of spikes in the end. This is how you grab the small components. These components, you can compare them to a grain of salt, grain of sugar. So after we finished recording the interview, Rico set up for the day and started fixing phones. On one side of the room was his workspace, on the other side of the room was his assistant who was at a separate workstation fixing the same problem in a different phone. It was Rico's new student's first day and you'll hear him refer to his student quite a few times and also to his assistant Vera. So what we do is before we can do a touch I see FUD, you listening? Okay. We always clean the underfloor. The Touch IC sits on the back side of the motherboard, so the back side of this. If we put heat from the back side, all this glue that Apple have put over these small components, these small components are little filters, capacitors. These are very important for like fingerprint, your camera, your earpiece, your proximity sensor. If you put heat from the other side and all these small little components are engulfed in glue, What happens is they have nowhere to breathe and the glue kind of grabs them and disconnects them from the motherboard. So many shops out there, when they're trying to do this repair, they don't clean the glue and then they do the touch repair, but then there's no front camera. And they're like, why is there no front camera? They change the front camera, there's still no front camera because the components aren't breathing. Can you see they're covered in glue, right? Dave, can you see that? Yeah, I can, I can. I'm just making them breathe because when I put heat from the opposite side, I don't want them to be disconnected after and then I have to fix all of the small things. They're very microscopic. So I can see it all on a big screen and it's basically like a dark black grey glue that's being kind of removed very efficiently. So now that we've cleaned that, now we're ready to continue with the repair. Okay, so what happens is now this black chip here is the touch I see, this one right here. We use two copper coins one to cover the Wi-Fi area, one to cover the CPU area. One of those coins is literally a two pence piece. Okay, so now we're going to turn our temperature up to 420 degrees. Now what's going to happen is, you're going to see, I want you to focus on this coil, okay? See that solder, the two solder pads here, there. The two solder pads there, when they start to shine, it means the touch IC is ready to be taken off and it's going to come off soon. So wait until they start shining. So there we go. This is how we remove the touch IC chip. That's it there. And then we're going to take this microscopic wire. We're going to feed it through. Right, this is the, the hair, hair-like wire that we was, was mentioned earlier on. And I can see it like really big on a screen. But then when I look at what Rico is doing, uh, it's tiny, tiny. So we've attached it to that point of fault. And now what we're going to do is we're going to take two tweezers and turn it into an L. So we're going to take it there, turn it into an L, because basically this trace continues to that point, but it breaks off right here. 
Right. So that's why we're putting a wire for extra stability. So then we're going to come and we're going to take this. We're going to cut it off right there. Come on. There we go. Right. So now we're at the stage where we can just clean it with alcohol. A toothbrush is being used for the cleaning with, it, with alcohol uh, solution. Hot air to dry it up and repeat the process one more time. The alcohol. Vera, have you got to the point where the pad's missing? Can you put on the TV to show him, please? So, on the iPhone 7 Audio IC disease, what happens is, just like I made a jumper there, can we zoom in here, Vera? So, just like I made a jumper there, naturally, look, it just fell off. Wow, okay. Underneath the chip, it just fell off. So, all we have to do is put a wire there to there. To connect those to two To connect points. it, put the chip back. Wow, okay. So, it's a natural design flaw that that pad just falls off, but here... We're lucky that it's still on. We're lucky that pad is still on there. Right, okay. But usually it should fall off. But it's about to fall off. That's why we're seeing the flickering when we're, when we're flexing the phone. That's like falling off. Anyway. So by putting that wire there, you're stopping it from falling. Securing it for life. Yeah. That means that phone will be secured for life because a wire will not crack or break. Anyways, we're using green UV. This is the sa similar stuff to what women use on their nails. What this is going to do is just going to hold. It's a liquid form now, but then we use a very strong UV light to turn that into a solid. So now it will protect that wire even stronger. You understanding, Fun? Yes. Right. You understand? So now we're going to go back to the chip. Now, the reason why. And the chip is really small. It's now, a really the reason small why we are going to reboil this chip is because this chip now costs $7. Okay. Before, I remember back in the day, it was $2. $1.50. But now, there was a huge demand in China for this chip, so the price has gone to $7. So that's why we're reboiling it, because the problem is not the chip. The problem is the connection underneath. Okay. It's not the chip, so we can reuse the same chip. And what, so, what are you doing to that chip to, to rebuild it? So you'll see now. So I've just flattened the old pads, okay? There we go. So we have something called a stencil thing. Oh, right. So there's like a stencil of different chips mm -hmm. uh, that he's using, putting it over the... The one that he wants. It's, it's kind of a little bit like in primary school when you've got like a stencil to do your A's and your B's and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> but just for chips. It's coming back. The TV's coming back. So we're filling in the gap. Drop the temperature a little bit. Many people come to the training just to learn how to do this. It's called reballing. You're sticking back all of the little metal bits that exactly. were there before. Okay, we'll have to check that now. Toothbrush and the alcohol is back out to kind of clean it at the end of the process. 
these tweezers used to be amazing, but they've been used and abused now. Okay, anyways. Look at that. Stunning. <laughs> wow. I mean, it 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 looks it look like it looks more stunning on the screen than in, in in my with my eye because I can't see with enough detail with my eyes. You understand, Flood? Yeah. I'm good. Okay. So now we're gonna just put a thin layer of flux. Now it's very important you know which way the chip goes. I know from experience. There's a dot there. That dot goes to the top right. I know from experience. So I've aligned it. And now what we're going to do is we're going to come in with our heat, watch it, get ready. It's going to dance into place. Get ready. See? It's falling down. Wait for it. It was so perfect. It didn't do it. See how it jiggled? Yeah. When I touched it. That's it. Done. That's a touch I see repair. The, 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 uh, the chip has been replaced. The disease has been uh, fixed. Cured. Fixed, cured. cured. Yeah, Take yeah, you yeah. 10 minutes for this repair. Going into Rico's workspace was kind of like a magical experience going into Narnia or something going through an everyday suburban front door into a very different space and seeing a very different way that you can use a family home seeing Rico open up some smartphones and seeing how complex they are but also how with the right training and the right tools they can be navigated and fixed was again kind of magical for me as devices get more more and more complex in their design and as manufacturers are putting in place more barriers to prevent us from getting in to our gadgets it's important that we find ways to access information and training in how to navigate our devices both for the independent repairers who are working in their shops and the independent repairers like Rico who are working in their homes but also for ourselves as individuals. Whilst seeing Rico felt like a magical experience, he isn't a magician. The knowledge and the skills that he has are things that all of us can start to learn. He may very well continue to be at the cutting edge, learning and learning and learning, but he's leading us forwards and we can learn to our own level and to our own ability how to change our relationship with the things that we own, how to get inside them, fix them, and make them last for longer. Restart Radio is a show aired on Resonance 104.4 FM and a monthly podcast uploaded to the Restart Project website and found wherever you get your podcasts. As with all episodes of Restart Radio, we'll include links with background information to all of the issues and stories discussed over at therestartproject.org. The music that you've heard in today's episode was made with lasers and repurposed electronics and is a collaboration between Opto Noise and Cassini Sound. And thanks to Restart's communication intern, Isabel, who did the research and episode planning for this episode. It's time to pack up the equipment and say goodbye to each other. Goodbye, everybody.